from Psalm 105. So he led forth his people with gladness, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. When I first moved to Orlando, um, I was driving home from, from a, a party one night and I, and I realized that, um, as often happens for Josh, that I was completely lost, utterly lost. I was new to town and had no idea where I was. And plus, the names of the roads in Central Florida just keep changing, right? I mean, the same road, five different names. This was, uh, if you can remember this long ago, this was so long ago, I didn't even have a smartphone. I had like a flip phone or something, right? No map on my phone. In fact, it was, it was so long ago uh, that those square Garmin things that you would put on your dashboard were not really a thing yet, right? So I did, I did the, 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 the craziest thing now. I, I pulled into a 7-Eleven and I came out with a physical map. Do you remember those physical maps of Orlando to navigate my way home? You know, maps are good not just because they tell us how to get to where we're going, they tell us where we are currently in the present. Would it not be nice to have a map of the Christian life, of our journeys with God? Would that not be wonderful? To know not just where we're headed into the fullness of God, but to know where we are, like where am I right now in 2020 with you, God, on my journey in faith? In today's Old Testament lesson, we have in some ways that very thing. We have a map. The, the story of Israel is for us and for every Christian, it's, it's, it's a paradigm, it's a model, it's an example, a foreshadowing, a map of the trials and the triumphs of following God in the Christian life. What we see Israel experiencing in chapter 16 of Exodus teaches us about our own experience with God and it it teaches us four lessons, four places on the map, four experiences that we will as Christians be guaranteed to have along our journeys with God. Let me give them to you all at once and then we'll briefly look at each one. On the journey of the Christian life, number one, there will be tension. It's the first place we find Israel in chapter 16. There will be tension. Number two, there will be temptation we will want to go back to Egypt. Number three, there will be the task of trusting God on this journey of faith. And fourth, there will be a transformation, God willing, of our wilderness experience into worship, all right? Tension, temptation, the task of trusting God, and the transformation of wilderness into worship. Here we go. Take your scripture insert, or I believe it's just printed right for you in your leaflet. If you're following online, uh, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. We're going to study this passage, almost walking right through it verse by verse. 
First, the tension that we see in the life of Israel and in our Christian life. Where do we see this in our story? Well, here's what you need to know. It's all around chapter 16. It's in the verses before and after, the context of the passage. What do I mean by that? Here's the Reader's Digest version of the book of Exodus until chapter 16. Let me show you the whole map, all right? In Exodus chapter 1, the very beginning of the story, we find out that Israel's gotten so big as a nation that they are actually threatening to Egypt. And so, Egypt enslaves Israel. That's chapter 1. In chapter 2 through 4, God is not happy about his chosen people being enslaved, so he chooses a man, Moses, and he sends him to rescue his people uh, from Egypt. Remember, this is the story of the burning bush and so on. In chapters 5 through 15 of Exodus, it's the story where God rescues directly his people from Egypt. Remember, all the plagues culminating in the Red Sea journey. They travel through the Red Sea on dry lands, a miracle. And now here we are, here we are in the tension between where they used to be, Egypt, enslaved, and where they hope to be, the promised land, the land of Canaan. In a word, they're in the wilderness. And here we are in the wilderness. In the New Testament, it goes something like this for us. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come, but we don't actually live in the new creation yet. We're new creations, but we don't live in the new creation. Here's another way to say it. In Jesus, all Christians have been set free from sin's penalty, which is death, and sin's power. We we, we used to not be able to say no to sin, now we can, but yet sin remains. We've not been delivered from the presence of sin. We're in the wilderness, in the desert, in between Egypt and the promised land. To use direct references from our story, Applied to Christians, it goes like this. God has rescued us from drowning in the Red Sea. By the way, that's baptism. I mean, overtly. Can you get a better picture than that? You're going to drown. The priest pulls you out, right? At least that's how it was where I grew up in Baptist land. You literally go under the water. You think you're going to die. You come out of the Red Sea. We're in between that moment in the Christian life and the moment when God brings heaven to earth, the new heavens and the new earth, when he makes all things new. Let me ask you then, what does your wilderness look like? What does your wilderness look like? Where are you on this map of a journey with God? Israel's in the wilderness. What does your tension look like? There are needs that we thought Jesus would meet when we got to the other side of the Red Sea, but they're still not met. There are desires that we hoped God would fulfill when we came up out of the waters of baptism, but they're still unfilled. There are questions that we just knew would make sudden sense after we came to know Jesus and the world is still confusing and there's so much about God and ourselves we don't know. The residue of addiction remains. 
There are still conflicts in our relationships. Tragedies still happen. Marriages still fall apart. Loneliness still haunts us. And so here we are. Here we are on the map with Israel in the wilderness between Egypt and Canaan. We're not there yet. Here's what you got to know, friend. Tension in the Christian life is par for the course. It's on the map. You're not doing it wrong if you feel tension. It's not weird. It's not strange. One day God will make all things new. The tension will be relieved. But until that day, we are right where we're supposed to be with Israel in the wilderness. And you say, well, Josh, that's not good news. I thought Sundays were about the gospel, right? The good news of the gospel. So what do I do with the tension then of the wilderness that I'm in? This brings us to our second place on the map, the second lesson from Israel in chapter 16. There will be temptation to return to the tyranny of Egypt. Where do we see this in the text? Because this is what we want to do with tension. This is what Israel wanted to do with tension. Look at verses 2 and following. Top of the text. Chapter 16, verse 2. The Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots, as like the big, big steaks, and ate our fill of bread. You brought us out into this wilderness to kill us with hunger. Two things to notice about what Israel does during this moment of temptation to try to relieve their tension. First of all, look at the despair that they feel. Isn't this what temptation feels like? We just want to go back. Forget it. Let's start over. This whole God thing did not work. Why? I just wish I... I'd rather be dead, Israel says, than feel what I feel right now in the wilderness. I'd rather be dead. Death is better than this hunger. If only we had died, they said. Notice not just the despair, but the distortion of truth. They're not seeing things as they really are, both the past and and the future. The distortion of truth. They say, in Egypt, we had meat and bread. By, we sat by the flesh pots. It's like you picture Israelites with lounge chairs and big stakes. You want to say to them, but you were enslaved. I mean, you were oppressed, right? You were under the tyranny of, of Pharaoh. You really want to go back to that? The way they remember things was distorted. And the, what they thought they were doing was also distorted. They say, you've brought us out into the wilderness to kill us. I mean, that's simply not true. They're headed to the promised land, to the land of milk and honey. I remember speaking with a new convert friend this past year, a a man who had given his life to Jesus, and he'd sort of left the partying scene and everything that goes with that. And he talked about, after choosing God's way of life, how even now on most Friday nights where his friends used to come so easy at, at clubs and whatever, now he basically just sits alone on Friday nights. He just sits alone. You got to wonder, it makes sense, doesn't it? He feels like, Jesus, is this, I mean, is this what you wanted for me on the other side of the Red Sea, just hanging out Friday nights alone? Back in the club scene, it was so much easier. I wasn't lonely then. I had friends. 
in the tension of Christian life, there will be the temptation to just go back to Egypt. How have you done that? How have you wondered, you know, maybe it's better to go back? How have you distorted the truth? How, where have you felt despair? My friend Chuck DeGroat, an author and a, and a therapist, says in his book, Leaving Egypt, which is, by the way, a masterful uh, uh, book, Leaving Egypt, he says it like this, faced with the daunting prospect of moving forward, of embracing a life of greater flourishing in Canaan, we find ourselves losing hope. The sex addict returns to his favorite porn site. The workaholic returns to his busy schedule. Knowing that his schedule kills any chance of intimacy with his family, the angry wife defaults to her husband's defensiveness, squelching his spirit. The abused woman returns to a relationship where she knows she'll be used rather than loved. The religious addict defaults to her legalistic ways, judging others rather than embracing the love God has for her, even in her failure. And over and over again, we choose to return to Egypt instead of daring to enter the promised land. Listen, until Jesus returns, our journeys with God will be marked with tension and there will always be the temptation to just go back to Egypt. But here's the good news of the gospel. There's another way. And here's the third lesson, the third place we find Israel on the map. It's the task of trust. Trust. Where do we see this in the story? We just did verse two and three. Look down at verse four. Verse four in chapter 16. The way of trust. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you and each day Israel shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. Notice it's like Israel saying, okay, so let me get this straight. You're going to rain bread upon us. God is asking them to trust him in a way that defies their human wisdom. Not only that, he wants them to do this in a new way. This, this, this trust that defies natural boundaries, he wants them to trust in that way every day. It's a defiant and a daily trust every day. Verse five, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. The words sound maybe kind of mixed up in our brains, but here's what God's saying. Right, because you're going to be in church on Sundays. So that's why the, you get everything on Saturday that you need for Saturday and Sunday. Why? Because you're going to be here in church on Sundays. I almost feel like that's kind of a joke. He's testing you to see if you can get it. The way of trust, it's defiant. It's defiant the way we normally do life. The boundaries of the physical realm and it's every day. You know how alcoholics talk about, uh, former alcoholics talk about their experience of recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous. They never say, I'm never going to drink again. They say, I'm not going to drink today. Just today. And then they wake up every day and they say, I'm not going to drink today. I'm going to trust God today. And then we're going to trust God again tomorrow, just for today. I'm going to trust God again tomorrow for today. The task of trust. By the way, in verses 7, 8, 9, and 12, four different times, 
we are told that God heard Israel's complaint. I heard your complaint. I hear you're hungry. I hear you're needy. I hear your complaint four times. You know what? God did not shame Israel for their need. He didn't say, shame on you humans for being hungry in the desert. No, he, he hears them. He hears you in the wilderness right now, wanting to go back to Egypt. He hears your need and he wants to meet you there on the map when you trust him. So here's the fourth lesson from Israel in Exodus 16. God takes all this tension and when we choose the way of trust and not the way of temptation, not go back to Egypt, but when we choose to trust him, he transforms this wilderness experience, this dryness, this confusion, this neediness, he transforms it into worship and he gives us himself. Where do we see this? We're in verse 10. Look at verse 10. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness. You have to think that their faces now are turned in the opposite direction of Egypt. They're looking at what, what was a place of confusion and they are about to see, keep reading, the glory of God. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. They looked toward the wilderness and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. In the Exodus stories, the glory cloud of God is his presence with his people. It's a presence that shields them and protects them. Keep going. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I've heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you're going to eat meat and in the morning you'll have your fill of bread and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So now we have provision. Not just the presence of God, the glory cloud with his people, but we have him filling their plates. I will meet your need. When we trust God in the tension, the wilderness becomes a place of worship and God gives us provision and presence, exactly what we need. Dear brother and sister, I don't know what your Egypt has looked like. I don't know what the tension for you right now is in your wilderness. I don't know the bondage from which God has freed you, the oppression that he's taken off of your shoulders Somehow, though, God has brought you on your journey with him to this place today to hear the gospel proclaimed. So let me proclaim it loud and clear. Jesus loves you, and he knows where you are on this journey. He knows where you are on the map. And he asks you now, as we come to the second part of our worship service, to open up your hands to trust him with whatever the tension is, let go of the tension, and he's going to fill you with his presence, the body and blood of Jesus, and provision, nourishment for your journey. God, we ask you to do this in only the way that you can. Lord, our hands are open, our hearts are open, each of us has a different journey but we all need the same thing. We need you. We trust you now together as one body. 
Amen.